I am glad that you are here this morning. It's going to be a little different today. This is not the way we normally proceed. The worship band's still here. Over the last year, we've been going through the book of Romans, and we finished up chapter 16 last week. But today, we are really finishing Romans. Uh, the songs that you are hearing up here, almost all of them, not all of them, but almost all of them have been written by our worship team and are connected with Romans in some way. So be encouraged by these original songs. And what we're about to do with the preaching time is really different than what we normal do, normally do. In fact, we encourage you to dive into the Word. But this week, I'm going to ask you to put the Word aside. And before you stone me, you'll see what I'm talking about. For those of you who've been with us for the years, you know what's about to happen. So I'm going to tell a familiar story, and I'm going to keep telling it. And it goes like this. About 14 years ago, I was done. I was done with living. I wanted to depart this earth and die. I thought about ways on how to do that. And perhaps some of you have been there before as well, and it can be a, a very dark spot. Or maybe you know friends or family members who've been to a very dark spot, and you know in the news with uh, Robin Williams this last month, it's not just a problem in the secular world, but it, darkness is something that also Christians struggle with. So 14 years ago, I was living in Los Angeles, and I... Um, wanted to minister to my congregation because I felt like if I, their pastor who's in the Word and praying professionally, uh, surely if I struggle with this, there may be some others within the congregation. So what I did is I prepared this sermon to preach to encourage them what to do if they find themselves in that spot. And I was also taking a counseling class at a seminary at the same time. And I told this counseling class at the seminary that I had preached this sermon to my congregation and I actually turned in this paper on what to do with, you know, suicide. And when I got the paper back, I was blasted. I was blasted by whoever graded it. By, and they were saying, you cannot share that with your congregation because you will lose all credibility. You know, that's kind of how we roll as Christians, right? <laughs> We got, we're dealing with something too deep, too dark, especially as a pastor. Don't talk about that stuff. Well, I ignored their advice, and I keep talking about it. And I'm glad to see within the gospel community, others are starting to open up as well because it's not just something that modern-day pastors struggle with or you. It's been in the history of the church. And in this past week, I saw something that was so encouraging. It may not mean much to you. But this past week at the historic institution of Wheaton College, the president, Phil Riken, very, con very uh, conservative man, not very, in a sense, not sharing much about his life, stood up in the chapel and gave a message on how this past spring he had lost the will to live. And he, too, the man who's preached hundreds of sermons, written tons of books, 
started thinking about ways to take his life as well. Just to show you that these struggles are common to men and to women, preacher or no preacher. The issue is, what do we do when we have these struggles? What do we do when we have others who have these dark struggles? Well, for starters, I would recommend that we not keep quiet. We should talk to someone. We should open up. And typically, when we're in a dark spot, that's the last thing we want to do, right? And so if you know somebody that's maybe in some dark spot, I would encourage you to talk to them because they might not come to you or talk to anybody. But by God's grace, during that time, I had an opportunity to go talk to this really old man. And I always call him an old man because he was old. (laughs) He was a very old, wise man. He was a counselor. And I went to go see him in the hills of of California outside of Los Angeles. And I said, man, I got problems. I don't want to live. And he told me a lot of things that were helpful. But one of the things that he said, he said, look, man, you have messed up thoughts. I'm like, yes, I do. (laughs) He said, you need to work on replacing those thoughts. And it's not not magic or anything here. He says, one of the things that may prove helpful for you is what he told me. He says, you should consider replacing your thoughts with the thoughts of the Word of God. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, why don't you try to start memorizing some passages in the Bible just so you can start, you know, getting some healthy thinking. And I said, okay. And so he gave me this really old, cryptic-looking memory method (laughs) And he's like, try this. It'll take about five minutes a day. And I started doing that. I started memorizing scripture not because um, I, I wanted Awana bucks. No. For those of you who are in Awana, understand that. Uh, it's not because I wanted prizes. I started memorizing scripture because I just wanted to live. So out of that desperation, I started memorizing, it sounds ridiculous, hundreds of verses, hundreds, hundreds. This is life. This is filling me up. This is what I want. I need this. And and I started sharing this with you several years ago, and I said, look, I want you to have this little cryptic old-school memory method, and I've been passing it out ever since. I I, I photocopied it, and it's so old. It doesn't involve technology, but you can figure that out if you need to. But I put it on the table out there for you to go see it, okay? And what's so encouraging, some of you have started doing it, and you've memorized hundreds of verses as well. It's really easy. But anyway... So years ago, I went on sabbatical, and I came back, and I said, what if I stopped memorizing individual verses? What if I started memorizing big chunks of the Bible? I thought, that's a good idea, right? I want to see how passages stick together and how chapters stick together. And so I started doing that for life. And then I thought, well, what if I start sharing it with you on Sunday morning. I mean, you'll tolerate me, right? And so I started 
reciting these passages to you. Uh, we did First John on Sunday morning. We did the book of Malachi. Who memorizes the book of Malachi? That was fun. Uh, we did Sermon on the Mount together. And then about four years ago, I thought, you know what? What if I memorized the book of Romans and recited that to you? And I thought, you would probably be pretty bored sitting through. It would probably take an hour and a half, two hours to recite Romans in one sitting. So what we've been doing is, is dividing it up. About three years ago, I did Romans 1 through 6. Two years ago, Romans 7 and 8. This past Christmas, we did Romans 9 through 12. Most of you are usually not here. We usually do it over the Christmas break time. But we just finished up Romans. And I thought, wow, today's a good day that I finish Romans with you. And so we're going to, you're going to hear Romans 13 through 16. And there are two reasons why I want to do this with you. One, the early church did not pop open their Bibles, and they certainly didn't get out their smartphones. They heard the Word of God. This morning, don't look at the Bible. That is heretical any other Sunday but today. Don't look at the Bible. No peeking. Listen to God's Word. Two, May this encourage you to maybe consider, rise, to consider yourself getting in the word, hiding it in your heart, and seeing what God does in your life. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to do 13, a little bit of 14, and a little bit of 15, all of it, and then 15 into 16, kind of some movements. In between, we're going to have music. Most of these songs are written around Romans, but I want you to hear the word of God. Maybe how the early church would hear it as well. So put the Bibles away, listen to the word, and let's start with prayer. Lord, I, I know that in a congregation of this size, there are some people in here right now that are in a pretty dark spot. And some of them have maybe even been considering taking their life over this summer. And some may be thinking about that right now. And many of us have been in dark seasons before. Just by the fact that they're here in this place today, that you encourage them that you care, and that they're hearing this right now, that you care for them, you're reaching out to them, and may they turn to you, may they turn to others, may they go see a, a, a counselor, may they go see brothers and sisters, may they just start to talk, and you start to bring healing in their lives. And Lord, by the word of God that we're about to hear this morning, may it be encouraging, may it build us up in Jesus, and may we exalt you, the Father of the word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority set from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist 
will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual morality and sensuality, not in quarreling and in jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. As for the one who's weak in faith, welcome him not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. And the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live, whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died, so that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Are you 
Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know, I know, and I persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of heaven is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean. But it's wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself by what he eats. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. We, who are strong, have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope.
I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, and that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel Not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who've never been told of him will see. And those who've never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it. And indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been accepted, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and may be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, servant of the church of Syncria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron to many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. 
Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet my beloved Ampliatus. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apellus, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord Tryphony and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus chosen the Lord, also his mother who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, and Hermas, and all the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nurus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greets you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the plan and the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen.